You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. For those that don't know me, my name's Sarah, and I'm part of the church here and also the hub steering group. Um, I'm not normally one for being so upfront, so for those of you watching online or listening later, um, and some of you in the building here, um, I might not be a face that you have met or recognised. Um, today, as Joe mentioned, we're going to be looking at stages of faith, um, and as part of this, both Joe and I will be talking about frameworks that can help us think about it. We're going to be doing this as part of the series we need to talk about, as Joe mentioned. Um, And instead of focusing on specific topics, I'm going to be looking at a number of tools that can help equip us um, as we think about the questions that we might have. Um, Joe spoke two weeks ago about what progressive faith is. um, And last Sunday, Rob talked about the Wesleyan quadrilateral as a tool to help us make decisions about our faith. Um, There's quite a few like longer big words today, so I'm hoping I can get them all right. Um, If you've missed either of these, we'd recommend um, catching up by listening to our podcast. Um, And you can find this on our SoundCloud page or on the website too. Um, So today, we're going to be looking a bit more about how our faith develops and changes. What do I mean by stages of faith or faith development? Um, This is a term that's been used to describe some of the theories and frameworks that have been developed to give structure to this process and to help us to understand it more. A theme throughout this series has been growth. Um, We're now in the middle of spring, and it's a lovely sunny day today. Um, And with the increased light and warmth that this brings, I've been spending more time in our garden. Um, We moved house in the autumn, and I found myself observing the plants that have grown that I didn't realise were there. Some of these have been with delight, and they're lovely. Um, Others have been with a lot more horror. (laughs) Um, I've spent time trying to shape the garden over the past few weeks, Um, and have been aware of how quickly things grow, um, and in places I didn't expect or want them to. And although I have a role in shaping it, um, it's a process I can't control. And it, yeah, I'm definitely not in control of our garden at the moment. (laughs) Um, With thinking about growth in our garden, it's made me think about faith, and as Joe and Rob have spoken about in previous weeks, how it's something that involves change. Just as the increase in sun and rain during spring has prompted flowers um, and weeds to shoot up, there can be times in our faith where growth can happen suddenly, prompted by situations or experiences that cause us to question or that challenge our faith. Um, Just as with the garden, sometimes it can be, sometimes this change, sorry, just as with the garden, sometimes this change can be an opportunity for growth and can be be exciting. Um, and other times it can be something that we resist. It can involve pruning or cutting back to allow new things, but this can be painful and challenging. Growth is part of who we are as people, and many different disciplines have tried to map stages of growth. Um, Alongside theories of human development that psychologists and sociologists have created, there have been a number of theologians who have tried to map the process of growth within faith. Much of faith development can be linked and related to these human development theories um, and can help us with understanding both ourselves and other people better. Um, And hopefully there will be stages and models that resonate with you today. Growth, although individual, is not in isolation 
and we're all part of communities of people here in Oasis Church Bath, but also in families or work contexts or schools. Um, and you might find as part of this, there are those who hold different views to you about all sorts of subjects. For those who don't know me, I'm married to Jay, um, and we both hold different political views to her dad. Um, we struggle with some of these sometimes, and it can become a bit of a competition to hide the newspaper that he buys that supports these views. It would be easy to disregard any conversations on the subject of politics, and as many of you might as many of you might know, it's not a good dinner table topic. While there are times that we avoid these conversations, such as the dinner table, um, as I've got to know him, I've learned more about some of the experiences in his life that have shaped him. This involves his work, his family, but also the economic and political situations that he's experienced as part of his generation. These have helped me to understand him, but also made me more able to listen to the subtleties in his views the values that we share and the ways that we try to live these out. Differences in faith beliefs can sometimes be just as difficult and explosive a topic as politics. Recognising what has led to these can help us have compassion for and learn from each other. In talking about faith development, it can be helpful to ground this and to think about what this looks like for each of us individually. You might be able to identify processes and times of growth in your own life. Jo talked a bit about her faith development two weeks ago, and like her, I was brought up attending church, and my experience of youth work led me to eventually study this alongside theology. As part of this, I wrote about faith development and narrative for my dissertation, as it was something that really interested me, and for this reason, Jo's asked me to contribute this morning. Church will have been and continues to be part of your story in shaping your faith, whether that's just here or in previous places. Kathy Escobar, who's a writer and spiritual director, describes how, I'm going to pop the slide up, um, the truth is growth and change are natural parts of our relationship with God. God invites us to be in motion, but often the faith systems we are part of don't. Our change can feel threatening to those who are used to our believing and behaving in a particular way. It is important to recognise that churches can sometimes be difficult places to ask questions and to have these conversations, and that has been my experience before. This is a church, though, where we recognise that growth is good, change is encouraged, and where difficult questions are asked and conversations had. And we look to support and each, encourage each other in this. Joe and I are going to look at a number of frameworks today. Um, and we're going to share ones that have helped us think about faith development and understand our own experiences. There are other frameworks um, that you might have discovered and that have helped you too. Um, and it's important to recognise that with any framework, they have limitations and issues, but are there to help us think about and give language to our experience. One of the most well-known traditional models of faith development, um, and if you've um, had any interest or looked into psychology at all, you may have come across this. It's James Fowler's Stages of Faith. This model, along with other more traditional models, are important to mention, um, as they've, they've been formational to some of the more contemporary models, um, two of which we're going to be looking at shortly. Traditional models tend to be more linear and fixed, and movement and growth um, is from one stage to the next. 
To give some context, Fowler's Stages of Faith was published in 1981, um, and he was an American university professor and church minister. It's important to mention to help us understand the context of it. I'm going to pop up um, Fowler's Stages of Faith. Um, his model proposes there are six stages to faith development. I'm not going to go into too much detail about each stage, but can provide more information. Um, I find his naming of the stages quite complex, as you can see, um, and not so helpful. So I hope to be able to share some of the core aspects of each stage. For those who are listening um, on the podcast um, or the live stream, um, I'll go through these stages, so talk through the names then. It's important to note important to note that in Fowler's stages of faith, there is also the assumption that um, people grow up in a faith context. It's important to recognise and acknowledge that not everyone does, and this might be the experience of some of you today. This model may still resonate in places, um, but you might find the other models Joe and I look at today resonate more. Fowler also includes a link with age, and in the early stage of his model, as with human development models, demonstrate the impact of those involved in the care of the, the individual. Um, as you can see, the first stage, which he defines as intuitive projective faith, imagination and feelings have a significant impact, um, and they may be a pull towards strong images that emotions are projected onto. As school ages reach, stories provide frameworks for faith. This stage Fowler defines as mythical, literal, and is the age that is an, there is an increased sense of fairness and justice. Those of you who have a sibling or have children uh, may remember and understand the sense of what is right and fair at this age and the consequent sibling argu arguments. Faith can become very literal and legalistic. I can recognise parts of my own faith development in these early stages, um, and it's been interesting to reflect on it a bit more as I've prepared this morning. Some of the understanding, um, yeah, sorry. I remember being part of a church uh, when I was very small where once a year gifts were given to children um, related to Sunday school, Sunday attendance. And for me, this expectation created the belief that faith was based on church attendance. If I was ill and missed a week, then it was a failure by me and impacted on my salvation. I can see that as a child, that legalistic stage of faith was there be glad to know some of my thoughts on that have changed. <laughs> Following the, these first two stages, the, the third stage, um, which Fowler defines as synthetic conventional, recognises that independ as independence grows, there is an increase in the people and places that influence us and impact our faith. Our human instinct to try and resolve discomfort often leads to a need to find stability, and this can often be in, in an institution such as the church or a group of people. This institutional faith is defined by loyalty. Faith is expressed in personal relationships and affirms in feeling connected to the consensus. This is the stage where often churches can find themselves with a consensus around belief and the need for uniformity. Where this need for conformity isn't followed and questions start to be explored, we can see Fowler's fourth stage he defines this as intuitive, reflective faith. As a church and culture, language around deconstructing faith is sometimes used at this point. While this term is limited in capturing what many experience, it is this stage in Fowler's theory that, men, that resonate with many who have experienced this. 
For me, I can see this too in my own faith development. As part of moving away from a legalistic and conforming faith, I question some of the rituals and practices that are central to Christian faith. For me, this also involved a time where I chose not to take communion. Although this may have looked to others as a loss of faith, for me it was a wanting to only take part when I could do so in a thought-through way and was more about taking my faith seriously. Choosing not to take communion didn't necessarily lead me to a place where I understood what I fully thought about it, but it meant that when I chose to take it again, it was in a way that wasn't legalistic. Understanding and meaning are crucial at this stage, and I was trying to understand what I thought about communion. Um, and it can often be at the expense of emotion and experience. Growth from this to the fifth stage, known as conjunctive faith, involves being able to hold more of the paradoxes of emotion and reason, and it can involve engaging with some of the traditions and practices that may have been disregarded in earlier stages. Paolo's final stage is one that, may, that some may describe as an enlightenment or a universalistic faith, and one he describes as reached by very few people. Some at this stage acknowledge paradoxes and the mysteries of faith. This causes a person to move beyond the conventional religious traditions or beliefs they may have inherited from previous stages of development. That's all of the long words that I'm glad of. <laughs> I've mentioned a number of critiques of this model already, including its linear structure, where progress isn't able to be made without going through each stage, disregarding the stage before. This too not only has an impact on us personally, but those we're in community with. If we dismiss learning from previous stages, we can also be dismissive of those who are in the earlier stages of this model. So moving on from a more traditional model, I'm going to move on to um, contemporary models influenced by Fowler and other theories of faith development. Um, Joe's going to talk briefly about one developed by Brian McLaren, which you may have come across. Um, but first, I wanted to mention one by Kathy Escobar, who I quoted earlier. So this is her model. Um, so I've popped the diagram um, on the screen. And again, for those on the podcast, I'll be talking through the different stages. Kathy Escobar in her model talks about stages of faith which she describes as fusing, shifting, returning, unravelling, severing and rebuilding. Um, and it's not as linear as Fowler's. In her model, she attributes values to some of the stages too. And I find um, that these resonate and help me to see how my faith has developed. The fusing stage places values on affiliation, certainty and conformity. The values attributed to unravelling are autonomy, authenticity and uncertainty, and those of rebuilding are freedom, mystery and diversity, um, which I think they're lovely values to capture the different stages. In this model, just as with Fowler, there's a recognition of the place of our experiences and relationships in shaping faith, which she describes as fusing, and how we grow and encounter different opinions and situations, this can shift and change. Um, Rob mentioned in his talk last week about how progressive Christianity isn't about replacing one dogma with another. Kathy Esquire echoes this when she talks about returning. This stage is about maintaining that need for stability and finding beliefs that enable this, even if the belief is different to those previously held. This isn't a growth, 
but it's a replacement of beliefs. There is the option at this point to lean into the discomfort and a life unraveling, as she describes. It can be a hard place to find ourselves um, and for others and has echoes of the deconstruction that we've spoken about. It can sometimes feel like along with our beliefs and our faith and the structures that we're part of, that relationships and also part of our identity is unraveling. For some, this can lead to a severing of faith. And we might know people for who that feels true. Um, This severing might include a distancing from beliefs, from practices, and sometimes faith communities and relationships. For some, this might be permanent, but it can also lead to rebuilding, although this might not be immediate. It can really feel like a wilderness time if you're in this process. While every model has issues and can be critiqued, they can also provide tools to help us think and grow. In her own faith development, and following her writing a book about this, she chose to talk about reimagining as opposed to rebuilding, and acknowledge an awareness that the words themselves are limiting. Kathy Escobar in her model doesn't describe any stage as bad or better than, but provides language to help us explore. Compassion for ourselves and communities that are able to hold uncertainty and support this process are really important. Kathy Escobar um, encourages us to trust the path ahead, even though you aren't sure exactly where it will take you. You're not lost. When we started clearing the garden at, at home earlier this year, we discovered some steps that we, hadn't, we didn't even know existed when we first moved in. It can be really hard to trust when we don't know something, what something will look like, and what we might find is not what we might expect. As I've mentioned here at Oasis Bath, we want to be clear this is a place where we're committed to growth and to supporting each other, even when we don't know exactly what it will look like. It's going to be a chance to think about your own faith development shortly, um, but Joe's going to introduce the model by Brian McLaren I mentioned, um, and then provide some questions that can help us apply and do the so what of today's topic. So I'm going to hand over to Joe. I, I love the, the Kathy Escobar one. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as it went on the screen, I was like, yep, yeah, that's more like it, isn't it? It's like, it's like yeah, that, that, that just feels like a normal day to me. Kathy <laughs> uh, Escobar's book that you can read more about that is, is it, it's called Faith Shift, isn't it? Which is a really good one, actually. And for those that listen to Nomad, the podcast, I know there's a lot of Nomad fans in here, they talk about um, that book being really helpful, so it's definitely one that I'd recommend. Um, so... In his book, Faith After Doubt, anybody read that? Brian McLaren, Faith After Doubt, anybody? Yeah, a few people, great. Um, brilliant book, I think it's, it came out fairly recently, and again, is one that I'd really, really, really recommend. Um, so he, in that book, talks about doubt as sort of the pathway to growth, really, and has this faith development model, which has four different stages, uh, which are these. So simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. So for those who were part of the Global Gathering book club that looked at this book, you'll you'll already be really familiar with this model, but I thought it'd be good just to take a brief uh, look at it now. I think the reason, I mean, there's a couple that we particularly liked, and I think the reason that we really like this one is because Brian McLaren's done a lot to try and integrate a lot of the work of previous theorists. So, you know, starting with people like Fowler. I mean, Fowler was kind of the foundation. There's been lots since then. 
Um, but yeah, McLaren integrates theorists from like moral, intellectual, spiritual development, all the different fields really. And I think it's also really important that he's specifically read theorists of colour and female theorists because a lot of this stuff, to be blunt, is written by white men <laughs> from the 80s. And I think it's good just to give ourselves a diversity of, of view and experience. So um, Brian McLaren does integrate all of that, which is yeah, really good. Okay, so if I just maybe talk through the stages uh, quickly. So simplicity is characterized by right and wrong. So everything's very neatly placed into these kind of categories and binaries, um, but right and wrong is, is the most essential focus. And a key motivation for people in this stage is about pleasing authority figures who they're dependent on. Um, so that the people in authority, they know the right answers and you just need to do what they say and make sure that they're happy with you. Uh, it's kind of around following the rules, really. So life is a sort of war, a battle between good and evil. And God is a sort of supreme, almighty lawgiver who forgives mistakes, but still must try and avoid them. We must try and avoid them by sort of doing and saying the right things. And belonging at that point is about sort of being part of the right group, really, to so the group who think the right things and believe the right theology. So uh, McLaren talks about the strengths and weaknesses of each stage, which I think is really helpful because I think it's easy to sort of go, how can we just get to the last stage and ignore everything from before? And that's not uh, the idea of this development model. I think the idea is that um, every stage has, has really strong strengths and weaknesses and that we can, you know, people in all different stages have so much to, to offer and so much to learn from. So the strengths of this stage are that um, there's this you know, really strong emphasis on like moral rightness and justice. And people in this stage are willing to work really hard to, to sacrifice. And they're committed, they're reliable. And the weaknesses of this, this stage are probably that, um, I guess, you can perceive anybody that's different to you as wrong. So you could be quite judgmental, quite narrow-minded, and quite damaging and excluding to people who aren't doing the right things in your mind or you know, aren't part of the correct group. So I, I really miss this stage. I mean, this was great. Who remembers this? You know, when there was just the rules and you just followed the rules and you just read the Bible and did what it said. And yeah, for about six months when I became a Christian, it was amazing. <laughs> it was just like, okay, great, I get it. You just believe these things and yeah, do that. And it's, yeah, just glorious. But sadly, it doesn't last very long, really, does it? As you realize that sadly, people in life don't fit into these neat categories and you begin to see the gray um, between the black and white and the need to think about things differently. So when that happens, that leads us then on to complexity. So the focus of this stage is on success and failure. So knowing that there are maybe different ways to do things, but that you've got to try and find the right way. So the motive for someone in this stage is to succeed, to be independent, to achieve goals, to play the game, if you like, but play it correctly and win. So authority figures are seen as kind of coaches who can help us learn the right and most effective way to do something. And God is the ultimate coach or guide. And strengths of this stage are a commitment to action, idealism, and loads and loads of enthusiasm. So everything's doable or possible with someone in this stage. We can do it. We've just got to find the right way to do it. 
And I think I can see myself in that stage probably when I was doing my, I did a master's degree in theology. And at that time, simplicity had totally broken down for me. And I was like, okay, so I've not been doing it the right way. So I now just need to find the other right way that wasn't what I was doing before so that I can kind of win and get it right. And I can see I was sort of trying to replace one set of like wrong answers with a, a set of right answers. And perhaps there's a link there to what Kathy Escobar um, alludes to in that sense of not just returning, you know, not just replacing one set of beliefs with another or, or Rob mentioned about not just yeah replacing one dogma with another and um, so the temptation perhaps there is to return to a kind of another fixed set of black and white beliefs so then um, perplexity so people in this stage tend to be very critical so particularly of anything they perceive isn't authentic or honest so it's all about seeing through appearances to the truth you know what's really going on here acknowledging that there are loads of different viewpoints and questioning everything and God is a sort of total mystery. Authority figures are, are viewed quite cynically as manipulators who control anybody that trusts them. And their core question really is about what hidden agenda might be at play. So what questions need to be asked to get to the heart of it? How can we cha challenge the status quo? And the strengths of that stage are many. There, there's honesty, there's curiosity, there's critical thinking, as well as that commitment to integrity and honesty. But the weaknesses of this stage can be a lack of commitment or action. So a lot might be talked about and critiqued, but sometimes there can be very little then in the way of productive action or, you know, alternatives to the problems that have been raised. And I think it's also hard for people in this stage to trust others and therefore maintain life in a community or with others they perceive to be in, in previous faith stages. And I think in my own life, I think that probably resonates with what I describe as a sort of deconstruction experience. You know, I can remember being there, just like questioning everything, not trusting anyone, you know, just ripping everything to pieces and recognise lots of those characteristics in myself when I was in that sort of lonely wilderness place where just nothing made sense and I didn't really know anything for sure anymore. And I think that stage is probably the toughest. You know, it's really hard to be in that place. And actually, it's a really dangerous place to stay. So... You know, when we look through people that have gone through these sort of wilderness times in the Bible, you know, they were always temporary. You know, people aren't designed to live in perplexity because it's just, it's really difficult. Um, so it's important to keep moving, to keep motion. Um, and sometimes you can be in that stage for a long time, um, but ultimately you need to move from it to stay healthy. I think it's really, it's a really difficult, tough stage to be in. I think people in there just need a lot of grace, a lot of patience, a lot of love. I know I did when I was there. And then finally, harmony. Ah. So the focus for this stage is inclusion, wholeness, and transcendence. So this is where everything has a place and everything can be integrated into our lives. So it's about seeking the common good, being compassionate to everyone, and understanding we're all connected and part of this greater whole. And people in this stage are interdependent, so they know when to trust others and they're in relationship with others, but also when to, um, to be independent and function on their own. They're open to learning from everyone and everything, and God is a, is a loving presence who is known through metaphor and experience. Authority figures are seen as fallible people like you and me. And I think that there are, again, loads of strengths of this stage. And it's important to say it integrates the previous stages. So it's able to look back. And because it's all about harmony and integrating things, it doesn't reject everything that gone, that's gone before it. It kind of sees and appreciates it and still draws from those previous stages. It's open. It's embracing. It's compassionate. It's non-judgmental. And weaknesses are that someone in this stage can maybe fail sometimes to be critical or sometimes to discern the information as they're sort of so open to everything. 
And there can be a lack of commitment due to sort of this embracing of uncertainty and mystery. So it's hard to sort of pin something down and say, yes, this is what I'm about or this is what I want to commit to. So that's a very whistle-stop tour through those stages, and I've, I've explained it briefly. But again, I'd really encourage you to, to read the book Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren to find out more. And I mentioned earlier that Brian McLaren says that doubt is the kind of pathway, if you like, between each stage. And he does imply that we keep travelling through this model. So after harmony, we then go back to simplicity, then more doubt leads us back to complexity, et cetera, et cetera. And that basically, we just kind of keep going around that forever. Okay, so we've looked at Fowler's stages of faith, Kathy Escobar's faith shifts, and Brian McLaren's faith development model. And uh, there was just one that I wanted to mention that we don't have time to go into, but there's a theory called spiral dynamics, which is actually a, a theory of human development. And it was something that um, I went to a, an event where Rob Bell was speaking, and he spoke for quite a long time about spiral dynamics. And I just found it fascinating and really helpful. And again, spiral dynamics is very good at sort of integrating the sort of previous stages, but you can find lots more about spiral dynamics online. But yeah, um, if you're into this and you want do a bit of homework I definitely look that one up as well so hopefully as we've been talking there have been you know moments theories things that have resonated particularly with you and your experiences but as ever it's always really important isn't it to go okay so what then what do we sort of do with this now and um, so that's where we're going to sort of finish today and we're going to do sort of a bit of a practical thing which is what your pens and your post-it notes are for so you might want to make sure you've got those to hand at some point but yeah we've got time and there's some spares at the back which you'll have chance to get when, once we begin so and um, so as well as thinking about where we are um in models such as the ones we've looked at without I think without making judgments or assumptions it's actually really helpful sometimes to use this stuff to think about where others might be particularly those whom we struggle with so understanding why someone thinks certain things makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, when you understand what stage they're in, and it can help develop empathy and compassion, I think, rather than just frustration. And another interesting aspect of faith, growth, and development is what causes growth, isn't it? So, you know, if we're stuck in the same place, what can we do to shift ourselves onward? So if we're happy in one stage, do we really need to, like, you know, provoke some big shift to move us on? Or should we just be happy where we are? I'm not sure, maybe um, maybe you've got an opinion on that. But I do think there's this overall guiding principle, isn't there, of an invitation to growth. So growth in the right season at the right time. I think that the Christian life is always this invitation to, to grow. And I think healthy things grow naturally. So we're going we're gonna to stick with our gardening metaphor and we're going to think about um, what makes something grow. So I think I want to just think about these four areas and this is going to then lead into sort of our response really. So firstly, looking at the plant pot, I think it's about our environment. So, you know, where are we planted? What's around us? So that's obviously the community, maybe the church community we're part of, but it's also about the relationships that we have. Um, you know, who are we surrounding ourselves with? And sometimes that, if, that, if that's good and, it's, and, you know, there's nutrients in the soil, if it's, you know, it helps us to grow. But if we're not in the right place and, um, yeah, it can be hard to grow. And I know, you know, many, many people here and me, you know, at times in my own life as well, I've had to kind of leave one environment and be planted somewhere that I knew was going to be more nourishing to sort of where I, where I was wanting to grow towards and um, so where you are in terms of community with uh, relationships is a really important part of growth 
And the sun is sort of representing our, our connection to God, really. So, you know, how do we make sure that wherever stage we're at, we have that constant connection to God? And that looks really different for different people. Sometimes that's a Sunday morning. Sometimes that's going for a walk outside. Sometimes that's a conversation with a friend over a beer. You know, God shows up in all different types of places and, and surprises us in that way. And so what are we doing to make sure that we regularly connect to God and that we have time uh, with God? The watering can is sort of around what feeds and, and nourishes us. So what's, you know, what input are we kind of giving ourselves? So you know, for me, I find things like podcasts and books really helpful and they, they stretch my thinking and I'm trying to read things written by people that are different to me at the moment because I recognise that I'm just reading the same sorts of stuff. And um, so, you know, what are, we, what are we kind of opening ourselves up to? What are we um, taking in almost? What sort of feeds us and nourishes us? And then this was one I added later because I didn't want to, <laughs> but... It's sort of the pruning thing. So, again, I'm useless at gardening. Um, and, yeah, I, I sort of said to Sarah, you know, when you think about gardening, what do you think about? And this was sort of her image, you know, like getting your hands dirty, getting in, you know, making it all happen. And this is my idea of, of gardening. <laughs> so for those, <laughs> for those listening, the picture on the left is me sat in my brand-new egg chair. It's been one of my dreams to own a hanging egg chair, and now I do. I got it for my birthday, and that's me sat in a garden with a glass of wine. So garden furniture is my department. If you want to talk garden furniture, I'm happy. I'm happy to build it, move it around, sit in it. That is gardening, but, yeah, not, not so keen on, uh, on the first picture. Um, yeah, although I did do a bit of pruning at our old house, which was really fun. Um, and there's a picture there of me holding a, what is it, a hedge trimmer? Is that the thing? Yeah. It's not a chainsaw. Or that would have no, that would have been fun. <laughs> so yeah, definitely kind of power tools. I'm interested in, <laughs> um, but yeah, but there's this kind of sense around uh, pruning and actually growth. We might think about all the lovely things, the sun, the flowers, the environment, but actually there's a lot about growth that is really flipping painful, and I think it's just good to acknowledge that. It feels like someone is chopping pieces off you, <laughs> and that's not very nice. And, yeah, I think that's just worth acknowledging, isn't it? If we want to grow, we have to be prepared to be pruned, and bits of us are going to be chopped off. And, um, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, that whole John passage about, you know, God kind of being there or being pruning us almost like so that we produce fruit. And I think that's a, um, a really kind of good thing to have in mind. So sometimes that stuff happens naturally, it's experiences, but actually there are things that we can do to make sure that that pruning process is a regular thing in our lives. So, you know, who honestly speaks truth to us in our lives? When was the last time somebody said to you, you've been a bit of an idiot or do you really want to do that? And, you think, and I think it's just so important that we have friendships where people speak into our lives truthfully and tell us when they don't agree with something or they don't think something is a good thing for us. And so it's just making sure that we've got that in our lives and that we give our friends permission to be open and to be honest with us and to challenge and to, to prune us. And in, you know, in work environments, there's other uh, opportunities, aren't there, for things like, th things like 360 appraisals, you know, where you get that, that feedback. And for those that have been looking into the Enneagram a bit more, um, there's some stuff in there, isn't there, about sort of self-awareness and, and being aware of some of our blind spots. But all of that is so important, and you cannot grow without that sense of pruning, um, which I know now that I'm an expert gardener. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.